Parlor games might not be your thing, but rearrange the six letters in the word budget and you get all sorts of new words from bet, beg, and debt to bug, tug, get, and gut. Strangely enough, all of these newly formed words could apply in some way, shape, or form to this session's budget negotiations. Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll explore why it's become so difficult for the General Assembly to produce a workable two-year spending plan. Given time, I'm sure we could come up with close to 32 billion reasons, one for every dollar the final budget is likely to allocate. We'll focus on just a few, though, in this report from Eric Weddle of WFYI News. It's crunch time for lawmakers to work out the next two-year budget. This week, the Senate passed a $31.5 billion proposal that would not only fund education at the highest level in years, but retain a $1.9 billion surplus by mid-2017. It's an ambitious plan that falls nearly in line with what Governor Mike Pence and House Republicans proposed in their own budgets. But Senator Luke Kenley, chairman of the Senate's Appropriations Committee, has made some of his own tweaks that will be debated along both sides of the aisle and between chambers. 63% of the two-year budget goes to fund K-12 and higher education. Schools will see more state support if an increase of $466 million is added to the K-12 budget. But the school funding formula used to distribute those funds has yet to be finalized. Pence says he prefers the House's approach to the public school funding formula since it favors suburban areas. He also wants an increase in funding for charter schools put back in the Senate's budget. State colleges and universities will see a small general fund increase, but there's kind of a catch. We are more aggressive about funding up higher education, and we are asking the institutions to consider not having any tuition increase, which I think would be a great benefit to the students in our state. Other areas receiving new dollars in the Senate GOP budget include local community correction programs and future road projects. The House, Senate, and Pence now have less than two weeks left in this General Assembly to work out their differences. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Eric Weddle. Thanks, Eric. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researcher Phil Owens is creating new ways to map soil functions, improve plant growth, and increase crop yields, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. Remember how, when we were kids, our parents would insist that we finish our main course, especially those oh-so-healthy vegetables, before digging into dessert or any side dishes? One might think that the General Assembly would take a similar approach during budget sessions when the only constitutional obligation on its proverbial plate is crafting a two-year state spending plan. Well, not so much. So far this session, as in the past, lawmakers have dealt with a wide variety of proposals, including more than a few that had no direct impact on the state's coffers. And if history is any guide, the budget for the coming biennium will be the very last thing sent to the governor's desk this session, probably just minutes before midnight on April 29, the statutory deadline for action. 
The backloaded timetable is dictated largely by the timing of the state's updated revenue forecast, which as we record this program is just minutes away from being released. Joining me to shed light on the budget writing process are four people who know it well, the General Assembly's primary budget architects. Republican Representative Tim Brown of Crawfordsville, Chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Democratic Representative Greg Porter of Indianapolis, the ranking minority member of that panel. Republican Senator Luke Kenley of Noblesville, Chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. And Democratic Senator Karen Tallian of Portage, the ranking minority member of that committee. Wow, this is the A-team. I thank you all for being here. Does this constitute a conference uh, committee, official conference committee? I wonder if we're breaking the open door law by uh, I would never. About... I would never do that. Uh, but I should note, my notes are printed on green paper today. I'm doing everything we can to, to get the money process the, to flow here. So we'll, we'll do what we can. I appreciate it. The, the budget always starts uh, in the House. So we will start with you, uh, Tim Brown. What impact, realistically, will the forecast, which again is moments away, have on, on the budget process? Well, two things related to uh, the forecast that I've been a little bit concerned about is that the jobs numbers for March were lower than expected, below 200,000 nationwide. And along with that, uh, January and February jobs numbers were revised downward. So, you know, it's people working that are spending money that makes the uh, lubricant of the economic engine happen in the state of Indiana. The other issue is the Federal Reserve and what their actions are going to be related to interest rates, but also their projection of economic activity. And there's been some slowing across the southeast part of the country uh, that I've read about. And he, even here in Indiana, uh, bad news wouldn't necessarily be a surprise because I think, what, seven of the uh, nine most recent month reports have indicated that there was a deficit or at least a lesser amount in revenue than what had been projected so uh, correct I know we're, we're we're below what our forecast is but we're above year over year and we're also seeing very strong sales so people are spending money uh, in the economy Luke Kenley you I saw quoted this week saying that depending on how the forecast comes out or based on what you think it's going to say you know before people were coming to you saying senator would you please put my project in the bill and now you think after this they'll be saying Senator, please keep my pet project in the bill. Is it, is it really that uh, cut and, uh, clear cut about how significant this change, this impact will be? I'm anticipating that's where we're going to be, John, because um, as you pointed out, we've, had, we've not met our, our revenue projections. And so actually the problem is, is that you have to reset your base based on the fact that you've received less than you projected. So no matter what growth we project, we're going to probably have a lower starting point, would be my guess. Which is, again, if we look back, it's about $109 million so far in this fiscal year, as we're about three, more than three-fourths of the way You know through. your numbers. That's pretty accurate. And, uh, and so you might say that that might be a starting base offset to whatever the growth pattern in, as is. And Tim says um, the economy is not really that bad. It's just not been quite as robust as we wanted it to be. And we've all worked under the same premise together. We all use the same formula and take the same projection. And uh, so all our budgets are based on the same estimates. Let's look at our Democratic uh, friends here. I mean, is it as simple as saying, well, we have to reduce the base, we have to lower expectations? Or there's some sense of carving into uh, the reserves. I mean, it's uh, the budget uh, reserve, at least in the Senate plan, would leave about $1.9 billion, which is uh, the governor certainly has been 
uh, calling for healthy reserves, but uh, both of the members of your respective caucuses in the House and Senate have said, maybe you don't need that. Maybe we can still spend. Is that? How could you guess that that's where we were going? I'm, I am question. I got numbers <laughs> on there. I got, I mean, it's the green paper. We have a $2 billion surplus. Um, we should be able to carve into some of those, those dollars. Uh, we're looking, I think economists say we should have about 8% reserved, uh, which is, which is, which is pretty good. Uh, at the point now, we're running about 11 to 12 percent in reserves uh, with the $2 billion surplus. Uh, I think one thing that we can really do is, is stop giving a lot of tax breaks to, to corporate businesses. Uh, that, that has been devastating from my perspective. Uh, to, the to tax break are. I know that you were pushing was textbook uh, tax, relief. Yeah, textbook uh, tax relief credits. as well as you know, research and development dollars. You know, we, we, we've given up in the last uh, couple, you know, this year in looking at our budget from, from our calculations, uh, potentially $12 million in revenues uh, to our state, uh, ongoing revenue, so every year. So, that I mean, I understand that uh, things may not be where, they, uh, where we want them to be, um, but I understand that, you know, our unemployment rate is down, but our, rev but our revenues are down, as well as income, uh, people are working it down. So, again, the push yeah. in the Senate will and be, the, let's cut into the reserves. Simple <coughs> as that, right? Well, not totally. Not totally. Um, you know, two or three budgets ago, uh, we had a governor who was very crowing about the fact that we had a $1.1 billion surplus. And I was saying at that time, can't we spend that point one uh, on all these little programs? Um, now we're at a almost $2 billion surplus. Um, it's still sitting there. We keep putting money into some of the, re, you know, kind of segregated reserve funds. Um, and maybe we don't really need to cut all these little programs, which, <clears throat> you know, for my money, a lot of these little programs that we do, which, which are, are small programs, um, but they leverage money in the community and they leverage volunteer hours. I'm thinking about programs like food banks or 211. Uh, they leverage a lot of uh, services in the local communities that, um, <clears throat> that do a lot of good there for a relatively small amount of money. So I'm looking at the surplus uh, and wondering why we can't use some of that to you, make you this know, up. Let me, let me make a couple of comments here about that. First off, when we hit the recession in 2008, we blew through $2 billion in no time. If we hadn't had that money, uh, we even relied on President Obama's $800 million stimulus money, and if we wouldn't have had that, we'd have been dead broke and we'd have been in big trouble. Thank so, you, President Obama. Well, I'm not going to go that far, but... Uh, <laughs> It, that's what happens to you, and it can happen quickly. And then secondly, when you start funding programs like the ones you mentioned, those are ongoing programs. And so as, if you don't have the revenues and you keep using your surplus down, then eventually you have to make decisions like, well, let's raise taxes or let's do this or do that. And then another element that is kind of maybe inside baseball that we forget is that Indiana has a AAA bond rating, and it's based on the fact that we have – a reasonable tax system and that we achieve every year a balanced budget and that we have a good surplus. And I used to argue with Mitch Daniels, he said the surplus should be next to nothing, that way nobody will ever have anything to spend. And I used to say if it was my business, I'd have a 25% surplus 
and make sure that we never had to raise a tax. So, you know, and back to the big numbers on the surplus. I mean, part of the issue is uh, uh, since I've been in the legislature, we spent 15 billion over two years, and so 10 percent was. Uh, thought to be okay. We now spend $15 billion a year, uh, and so the surplus has to be bigger because of a percent. And the other thing about the surplus, the, it's in uh, a savings account to use, as Senator Kenley said, but we also kind of have it in a three-month and a six-month CD, and that's tuition reserve and Medicaid reserve and rainy day fund. I mean, those are reserve accounts. Our working balance is really only between $700 million to a $1 billion. You know, as but, I sit here, I, Let's talk the two billion dollar surplus, but that Medicaid reserve fund and tuition reserve fund, are those numbers off? Or do we have is does not equal up to about another eight hundred million dollars? No, not? that's included that, in the two billion dollar number. Okay, so so that two billion dollars that we have does include those those, those two those two pots of dollars. Yes. Okay. Yep. Well, we Wait. have keep we keep putting money in the Medicaid reserve yes. fund, um, and we keep adding to it all the time. And we're not using it. Uh, those numbers are really padded in there, I think. Um, and I don't think that the Medicaid Reserve Fund probably needs but to be where it is. You actually don't want to start a program, though, that you don't have a continuous revenue stream <coughs> that will sustain that. You mentioned the food banks and 211, and I assume you want to keep those year after year after year. And so if you don't have a matching year after year after year revenue stream, isn't that bad budgeting to do that kind of thing? You know, the, well, I should let you answer and then I, uh, go ahead. If, well, if you... we, we, sh we don't want to go in the negative and nobody's here is saying that. Um, but at the same time that we're not funding food banks, we're, we're granting tax, gr tax um, cuts, for example, you know, $90 million, I think the, the inheritance tax just cost us $90 million. Um, we, we did that a few years ago, so that's sort of past uh, history now. Right, basis, yeah, but, so right. but that phase, that past history is what is partially getting us to where we are now in terms of our revenue. You know, as I, I sit here listening to this discussion, it kind of bolsters the, the premise I had coming into this, which is, so much of this is contingent, the things you've just talked about on the size of, uh, of the new projection, the updated forecast, and what monies we have to play with. And I guess uh, kind of a layman's question, is this any way to do a budget? Uh, in all deference to the, the process, and we've had agencies presenting their proposals back in the fall and state budget committee doing things, and it goes through the process. Now we are two weeks away, and it's, almost, it's like an NBA game where the first four period, three periods don't matter, and, and now everything starts. I mean, is, it, is there something wrong fundamentally with the way we do budgets here? I, you know, I don't know that, that there's anything wrong and that there's a better way to do it, but I would guess that all four of us have been spending at least six months getting ready for the end game and polishing your arguments. And I think you'd, I think you'd do a Not better... Not knowing, though, what the end that's game right. is. Right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. And you have to prepare... And, and the more you prepare and the more you have committee meetings, which we all hate sitting there, but you hear different elements of dialogue that teach you something that you need to know about this process. The harder you work at it, the better the product although, is. Although in the, Hopefully. when your, your plan was unveiled, your caucus, on a well, just last Thursday. That's right. There was no, uh, and voted on a committee, right. no 
public testimony, I don't believe, at that point. And then six days later, it was on third reading and, and passed by the, the full Senate. Now, granted, there's, there, was, there were numerous uh, committees uh, earlier in the process, but I mean, does right. that seem, again, this notion of compression at the back end here? Well, I Maybe that's an unfair question if, if because of what has gone before. But And I think part of uh, the issue is what we budget for. You know, there are th really three things that take up 75% of the budget. And as we talk about those things and have talked about them a lot, those take up the major part of your budgeting. And that's K through 12 education, higher education, and Medicaid spending. And so we have been talking about those ever since uh, July of last year uh, through committees uh, in the fall and then uh, committees uh, during this session and we've spent extra time uh, I know in the house we had two hearings on the formula the old formula and the new formula in the Senate they had a specific uh, hearing on the formula we dedicated hearings just to education as we uh, met the first week in January so you spend the largest amount of your time on the largest part of your budget and the formula still has a lot of problems from our perspective the, and the what does the, the formula has a lot of problems from our perspective. This is this is the notion that the dollars would would follow, follow the, the student, right. and therefore suburban rapidly growing districts would would benefit at the expense, perhaps, of a the rural, Indianapolis public schools. rural and urban and school corporations. And our and what we proposed was that everyone would would, would fare well and do well uh, in regards to the this, the budget of seven billion dollar budget. But now the we'll call it Luke Kinley's budget. Uh, I know it's a group team effort, but now it actually c provided more cushion. It's phased in over five years. You, you have a complexity index that, that's it, designed to aid schools. You were sensitive to this notion of the, but, the budget that came out of the committee of your the, sen the friend uh, we, on your right here we might have been onerous on the on Senate. Schools. The Senate had the benefit of seeing what the House did. They did a very good job, but we had the benefit of, re of reacting to the criticisms of that uh, proposal which used the time properly we tried to smooth it out you know John I I can't help but say that I, there's one thing that I want to point out that's in the budget that nobody's paying attention to that I think actually has the greatest impact on the future income of Hoosiers and that is the governor's uh, program for vocational education and he that was a campaign promise of his and it's taking a while to get this implemented but in this year's budget, we're going to have $100 million in the school funding formula, uh, another $40 million in career and technical grants working that will leverage private money for specific skills, and then Vincennes University is going to have a very fine program they've had for several years about developing higher order technical skills that they're going to spread to more high schools. I think that goes back to the original question. Is, we're going to have a bad revenue forecast, and I think that's the thing that's going to work that on that. Deals with, well, Karen Talian, what's not to like about that? Oh, there's nothing to, okay. like, to not like about that, but I cannot let that opportunity go by uh, without saying that at the same time that we are trying to um, build jobs, you know, build a workforce with higher wage jobs and, and better trained people, um, that the General Assembly just repealed the prevailing wage law. Which some say would hurt in a dramatic fashion the apprentice programs. Uh, That's right. Absolutely. Funded you to know, the tune of several 80, million dollars a year by uh, contractors. Eighty-some so. percent of the apprentice programs in, in the state of Indiana are funded by but, the contractors. But the Senate, if I'm not mistaken, and I know that you, you focus more just on the budget per se, but there were measures again put in in the Senate 
uh, to mitigate that. That's right, and we passed that yesterday, and, and many of the union issues about training and people coming in who did not have skills and safety, we put uh, language in there to help and protect and develop training type programs. And if you believe in the open marketplace, you believe in competitive bidding for things, I don't, I don't think personally that this is going to, for example, lower the wage of construction workers. If you have a skill, you have a skill, and there's a demand, and I think, I think this can work. So, but, and I'm guessing you might, uh, Greg Porter, say that tax revenues will suffer because if, if Hoosiers are not making it, it, these. Because it's compression. I mean, it's just common sense. You know, wages go down, spending goes down, uh, and our, our tax revenues are down. So, you know, I mean, it's just, that's just makes good sense. It, I guess I would push back that, though, that, that spending comes from somebody's pocket. And that pocket is taxpayers' pocket, so it, it's kind of a wash. Are you're taking it out of their pocket to putting it in another pocket? That's a self-sustaining model that we call capitalism, isn't it? No, capitalism would be the free market, and you rise to the top based on your ability to produce a product that's wanted and desired. You know well, the, the, from my perspective, here we're, we're at the last, you know, last week, last quarter. And, you know, from my perspective, I'm ready to go because I don't want to hurt anybody else. And that's, that's where I am. And, and I believe common construction, that, that hurt. Teachers been hurt. I mean, there's been a lot of people, working people hurt. Well, you are going to get to go because I'm getting the signal that uh, our time is up. No, I'm not leaving general I know. I love I'm being talking here. About, I'm, <laughs> this is a politics is local and so is <laughs> a show. Right. But, but we, a uh, lot still to talk about. I was going to ask if you all favored at some point moving to an annual budget process. We'll, ask, we'll save that one for, uh, for a later discussion. Lots to talk about clearly when you're talking about a 30, almost $32 billion to your spending plan. I appreciate the insights that you all have shared on this important topic. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative Tim Brown, Democratic Representative Greg Porter, Republican Senator Luke Kinley, and Democratic Senator Karen Talian. The legislative session is headed into the home stretch. What passed, what didn't, and why? The four caucus leaders join us on the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly discussion with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, our panelists couldn't or wouldn't uh, say what's going to happen next, but that's why you're here. Let's get the crystal ball out. What are we going to see? Well, I've also not seen the forecast, so I can say something. Yeah, I'm, I'm also not in a public meeting, so it doesn't matter and, and all that. I think what you're going to see is, is something that's very similar to what you've got now, but with, with some significant cuts in some of the, the non-major areas. I think you're still going to see the $466 million for K-12 education. That will probably not be cut this, this next two weeks. I think you, you may see um, something more resembling the House version of the budget with respect to higher education. I'm not sure that... Scaled back a little bit, maybe not so Well, much, actually, uh, not scaled back as much as Senator Kenley might like to see it scaled back. And I think he'd, he'd probably like to see some, uh, some promises like Governor Daniels has, has made, exacted from the other higher ed institutions in terms of, of uh, tuition freezes. And that's really not going to happen, at least now. So I think you'll, you'll see something more resembling the, the House version with a little bit more money for higher ed. And I think that the other programs, the other 25%, the non-K-12, non-higher ed, non-Medicaid programs are where you're, you're going to see cuts. But I also think that what you'll see is, is those cuts coming more in the first year of the, the biennial budget than the second year. I think we may be looking at a, a better situation in year two. 
We may see the Cubs come in year one instead, and, and that also gives uh, Senator Kenley and Dr. Brown a little bit of flexibility because what they can do is they can phase in some of those cuts. So they can say, all right, well, let's, let's go and, and make these things now, but if we've got the revenue, we can come back next year and add some of that money back, and I think that's what you'll see there. And you talk about some of the other. There's a big chunk of money in there for road uh, construction beyond what NDOT's typical budget construction budget would be. Is that the kind of thing that might be uh, uh, on the on the, at least a partial chopping block? Probably not for roads. That's a, a real Kenley priority. Oh, and you, you mentioned uh, that much of the cuts, if they happen, would come in the first year, which begs the question, and I wanted to ask the panelists this. A lot of states, based on some research I did, have moved from biennial budgets to annual budgets. They say they can, they can be more nimble that way. They don't have to, you know, be soothsayers trying to figure out what the future holds. Will Indiana do that? Should Indiana do that? Well, that's, that's a policy question um, beyond my pay grade. But, you know, the, the system that we've got now works and works pretty well. And with the biennial budget, it, it forces you to, to have a little bit more discipline, and it gives you the flexibility in the second year to go back and also to say, yeah, we can, we can afford this, or no, we need to make these cuts. We can still do something each year. All right, Ed. It's going to be a few fun weeks ahead of us here. Thanks, as always, for your insight. Much appreciated. For more information, episode streams, and extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media and Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit wfyi.org for exclusive web content, including the best advice our guests have ever received. Until next week, take care. Purdue researchers are advancing manufacturing industries by developing 3D additive methods, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.